And I want you to open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 3. As you're doing that, I want you to understand what uh, Brother Tommy is to this church as well as uh, we were. he mentioned Bailey as well, what they are. They are an answer to prayer. Somebody say, God keeps his word. Amen. When we first started the church, uh, Brother Tommy, the Lord told me that we would have influence in the political sphere. But as we started the church, the only influence that people encouraged me to have with the political sphere was to come like this. Hello, Alderman. I'm a church. Can I please have free garbage pickup? Uh, hello, Alderman. Uh, I, I, need, I need a favor from you. Can you please do this? That's how pastors taught me to come to the Alderman and Mayor. Oh, oh, may I, may I, may I, may I, Mayor? May, may I please? May I please? And I said to them, the only thing I have to ask from the Mayor, the Governor, is to repent and come to Jesus. That's what I've always said. Can I get a witness? I got some amens in here who have heard me say it before. How many of you have heard me say it? And then I would always point to a chair like this, and I would say, this is where they need to sit. They need to come to church. They need to be right with God, and then they can let us know what they're doing. But we're going to do it from the position of God first. And let me just say this. After everything that we went through as a church, for any politician to show up here, you already know they've counted the cost. I mean, just Google Metro Praise International. Just Google us, Okay. Just Google. So I'm not saying who you're going to have to vote for. We'll never do that here. We're just going to present to you Christians that are wanting to make a difference in the community. That's, that's my job as a pastor is to help you see there are Christian alternatives. I was talking to somebody the other day, and, and they said, well, I don't know who else to vote for. They said they were a Christian except uh, Mayor Heavyfoot, I mean Lightfoot. She said, I don't know who else to vote for. I said, there are Christians that are running. Do you know them? And she hadn't taken the time to do that. So that's what I will do for you as a pastor. And then how you vote, you're going to vote according to your conscience. Can I hear an amen? So it doesn't change anything. Tommy is not a pastor. He is not an elder. The church does not control the state. When he is here, we are in charge in Jesus' name. Amen? But when he goes out there, if he gets elected, he's in charge. So then we need to submit to him in the rulership. If he becomes a congressman, an alderman, we need to do our best, et cetera. Resist, you know, when it's time to resist. But then they come here. We need to lead them. We need to guide them. They need to come to your life group. What are you going to do if the mayor comes to your life group? You're going to freak out? We need the mayor to come to our life group, amen? And so we believe in the separation of church and state, but we always believe that the church is the foundation for a godly and a good state. Because if you do not have the foundation of the church in your politicians, in your businesses, everything you do and put your hand to will fail eventually. So we don't want to control the state as Christians. We just want Christians in the state doing godly things. That's it, because there's going, to be, there's going to be Muslims in the state doing Muslim things. There's going to be non-believers, atheists in the state doing you know, non-believing things. They say, well, I don't want your book there. Well, I don't want yours either, okay? Get, get rid of your manifestos, okay? So the idea is we all are going to have people in there that go to a book, that go to a leader, that look up to somebody. I want somebody who looks into this book for some answers, amen? And if they mock and ridicule us, so be it. I seen uh, Bill Maher, he did a, uh, a documentary to go out and mock some of these Christian politicians. He said, do you believe that the snake talked, you know, and do you believe this? And then, you know, it's like, womp, womp. And then he's like, we have people in Congress in charge of nuclear weapons who actually believed a snake talked. You believe you came from a monkey, Jack? You're a talking monkey. That's what you are. So we all have things in our beliefs that offends the other people. But I would rather believe that there's a supernatural world that can interact with this world than the stupidity that something came from nothing when a big bang happened without a banger nor a thing to bang. And then from the goo through the zoo to you, now you're here and you're pretending that we have meaning on a speck of dust in a universe that we haven't even found the end of or counted all the stars? You, yeah, 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 I think you're dumb. Yeah, I think you're a fool. The Bible says you're a fool. You know? So we can just call names all day long, but what I want to do is I want to outperform them. I want to have something that they need, and I want to know something that they don't know. Are you listening to me? I want to be a Daniel. I want to be a Joseph all up in Babylon, all up in Egypt in Jesus' name. 
So yes, you, you, think, you think I'm a fool because I believe that the supernatural can enter into the world? I think you're a fool because you believe something came out of nothing. Now let's do this. Let's show up here and let's see who has the best idea. Let's show up here and see whose schools are going to excel. That's why all of y'all run into the Catholic schools, the homeschool, and they're doing everything that we've been doing as Christians for a while. Matter of fact, most of the world, what they've done in America, they've taken everything the Christians have given them and broke it down. Christians gave them the universities, now they're breaking down the universities. Christians gave them the hospitals, now they're breaking down the hospitals. Christians gave them the U.S. government and established it upon all of these principles, and now they're destroying it. We need to make sure that we're here as pillars in this culture and setting the standard. Can I hear an amen? That's the message before the message. Go with me to John chapter 3, uh, verse 1. We're talking about being born again, first service, going through the book of John verse by verse. And so I just encourage you, you know, to be a part of something great in life, whether it's on your job, whether it's in politics. Uh, you know, I just thank God I want to say this as well for all the entrepreneurs here taking risks and opportunities to do what you're going to do. We pray blessings upon your business so that you can hire folks, so that you can employ them. You know, if these people are firing them because they won't take the vaccine, which, by the way, we're not anti-vaccine. We're just anti-fascism and anti-making people stick stuff in their body they don't want. Are you listening to me? But, you know, if they're, if they're going to fire somebody because they didn't take a vaccine, I pray businesses hire every single one of those people, outperform those other businesses and put them out and then buy their property and put their name on the door. Are you listening? That's what I'm talking about. Apple don't want you, start another technology business. That construction company don't want you, start a, con a, a construction business. Outwork them, outperform them in Jesus' name. We're here to disciple nations. That's my scripture. Can I just show that to him? Because I got to preach and I forgot to even show the scripture. Put up uh, just so you can, before I get to the second sermon, which is my first sermon here, uh, Matthew chapter 28, 19 and onward. Jesus said, go and make disciples of the what? Uh, uh, of just your family? Is that what it says? Of just your neighborhood? No, he said, make disciples of what? The nations. Are political figures a part of the nation? Then we're going to disciple political figures in Jesus' name. I can't wait because I feel, I feel it on me right now like a promise is coming to pass. I can't wait till Tommy invites me there to a prayer breakfast, to the Congress. I can't wait till somebody brings me up in there. Amen. And I'm not saying I'm the only radical because I know there's been a lot of radicals around different presidents who have told people the truth. But I just can't wait because I, because I want to be like that prophet. There's a prophet in the Bible. Listen, during the time of the kings and their corruptions and all the false prophets would hang around those kings. But there was a prophet that this one king knew about. And he said, man, whenever I call him, he goes against the grain of everybody else. And then he tells me stuff I don't want to hear. Now, one time these kings were getting together, they were planning to do, to do something, and, and, and everybody said, oh, it will go good with you, go ahead and do it. But the other king, he felt a little bit of a check. He felt like that was all yes men. So he said to that king, he said, man, all these people just say what we want to hear. Do you know somebody that's going to tell us a little bit something different? And he goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> he says, I know somebody to call up in here that will not tell me what I want to hear. I want to be that one. I want to be that one when Mary Lightfoot says, all right, should we, should we extend the vaccine passport for another 10 months and destroy the economy as they all move to Texas and all over the country except here for businesses? And everybody goes, yes, 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 Mayor Lightfoot. Yes, yes, yes. I want someone to say, hey, I know somebody that you need to talk to. You just call him up and bring him right into this meeting. He'll tell you everything you don't, you don't want to hear, but it's the truth. How many want to be ready for those moments? Come on, how many have ever, I mean, I can just look at some of you right now, amen to me. I, I just wonder if you've ever been in that with your family. Like every now and then they say, hey, just bring him over, bring her over. They'll tell you what the Bible says. They'll tell you maybe they're in a discussion about religion, and they're talking about tooth fairies, and they're talking about this and that. And they're like, but no, no, hold on, hold on. Bring in this one over here. This one goes to church. This one reads the Bible. Bring Jason over. Let's see what Jason has to say. And then, you blow the whole thing up and rebuild it in Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. Let's go to John chapter 3. I'm excited about that. And, and, and brother, we don't want anything from you except for you to live for Jesus. Do the best that you can. Amen. So I always like to say that too because you know what some people might say. Well, you scratch my back, you, I'll scratch it. That's not why I'm here. I didn't come for that. Let's go to John chapter 3 verse 1. I'm going to read all the way to verse 16. 
These are the most powerful verses I believe that you could ever hear in your life. I, I mean, you hate to compare the Bible with the Bible because it's all amazing. But there's just something about John chapter 3. It's been preached all over the world. 316 is the most popular Bible verse in the world. You've probably seen it hung up at football games and so forth. But I just want you to hear it afresh and anew today. We're going to talk about being born again. And I just pray you see it in a way you've never saw it before. I know that's what I'm praying right now. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So a lot of the Jews were getting offended, but this Jewish leader had an open mind to receive from Jesus. He's humbling himself. He's a leader, and he's willing to come to Jesus. Now, listen to what Jesus says back to him. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That right there is going to be one of the most important subjects, discussions, words that you're ever going to hear in your entire life, that you cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So Nicodemus is going to ask him about this. Verse 4, how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. How many say, thank God? Thank God, Nicodemus, we're not trying it that way, right? I've always got to say this part because it just fits the, con you know, just fix the context. Nicodemus doesn't need to go home and go, Mama, I'm coming back. And then say, say, open wide, I'm coming in. How many know that would be gross and disgusting? You don't go back in to come back out physically to be born again. So Jesus just kind of moves right past that. And he says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You, talking to this religious leader, should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. He shouldn't be surprised because it's in the Old Testament that it was prophesied. Now he gives an example for him to understand how the Spirit's going to work. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Somebody say, born of the Spirit. Thank you. We talked about what we believe that water is. Christians have debated it. We know what the spirit is, but the Christians over, over the years have debated what the water is. Is it the water of baptism? I don't think so. Baptism is not mentioned here. Is it the water of the birth canal? That when a person is born, that means they can be born again. And this would be a reason to why angels, spirit beings like Satan and those who have fallen cannot be born again because they have not broken through a woman's water. So only those who are human, in other words, could be born again. Is that what he's saying? No, I I think it's what these scriptures that I have there are saying. I believe the word is the water. Somebody say the word, word. is the water. Amen. Can I just show you one place where the word is the water? All right. Just go to Ephesians 5.25. Ephesians 5.25 says what Jesus does for the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, we're learning about marriage and how husbands need to love their wives and, and, and wives love their husbands. And here's one of the things that husbands need to do. They need to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the what? Through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other ble blemish, but holy and blameless. So when Jesus said, don't be surprised that I say you must be born again. This is the fundamental things of, of the Bible. This is what Jesus is saying there. Don't be surprised. This is fundamental. He was saying you have to be born of water and of spirit. Do I think water there fits with baptism? No, because baptism is not even mentioned. He doesn't say, now John, uh, excuse me, now Nicodemus got baptized. It doesn't say he does that. But it's supposed to be happening in this moment. There's supposed to be a transaction that's taking place. So what is going forth that is in that moment? The word of God. And that's why when you look through the other scriptures, what is the word compared to? Water. It is compared to water. And what does the word of God do as you hear it as like water? It makes you holy, it cleanses you, and it washes you. How many are happy today your brain has been washed by the word? All you Christians, you are brainwashed. First of all, I admit it. I needed my brain washed by the word of God. But guess what? You're brainwashed too by Oprah Winfrey. You're brainwashed by CNN. You're brainwashed by these rappers. You're brainwashed. You're brainwashed. I'm brainwashed. Who got the right washing? Can I hear an amen if you got the right washing? You got the rinse cycle. You got all the bleach that you needed. You, you, got, the, you got it done right. Can I hear an amen? 
You've been washed by the word. That's where I believe it's at. Going back to John 3 in the notes. Jesus is now saying the Holy Spirit's going to be like the wind. So we're not going to see the Holy Spirit like we're seeing Jesus. That's what he's telling Nicodemus. Nicodemus, I'm teaching you here to be born again by the word that the Spirit is going to bring. But you're not going to see the Spirit like you see me. Father, Son, and Spirit. No one has seen the Father. We've only seen representations of the Holy Spirit. We've heard the Father. Remember at the baptism, we hear him. This is my beloved Son. We see Jesus, and then we see a representation of the Holy Spirit as a dove. How many know he's not a dove, though? We just see him represented. We see tongues of fire in the book of Acts. We also see the cloud by day, the fire by night in the the Exodus narrative. But that's not seeing the person the personality, the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The only one that we've ever seen of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the Son. That's why the Bible says there's only one mediator between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus. So Jesus is the one who became flesh. Jesus is the one that uh, the saints of old would meet with and hang out with. So he's saying here, you're not going to see the Holy Spirit like you've seen me. It will be mysterious how he moves, in other words. It will be like wind. And even today with our Dopplers... And the abilities that we have to see and track weather patterns, how many know we're not still so good at it? We still get weather wrong quite a bit. And that's the best that we can do. So even at that time, he's saying, hey, you're outside. You don't even know where wind is going. You don't even know where it's going, uh, where it's come from, where it's headed. But you know what? You can hear it and feel it. How many of you have ever heard the Holy Spirit speak to your heart, to your conscience? How many of you have ever felt the Holy Spirit How many have felt him blow upon your life? Oh, come on, Presbyterians. Can I get a Pentecostal amen? How many of you have felt the Holy Spirit? I mean, I'm here because of that. I'm here because I felt the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that people don't get, you know, you can get saved a whole bunch of different ways, but I want everybody to hear this. I got saved because I got high on the most high. You all better give Jesus a try. I'm telling you the truth. I got high on Jesus. Like I said, some people, they come to Jesus a little bit nerdy in a library, candles burning, they're researching the resurrection. I got slapped upside my Holy Ghost, uh, my spirit by the Holy Ghost. I got lambasted. I got roasted and toasted. Are you listening to me? I felt Jesus, man. There were days that I couldn't stop crying. There was other days I couldn't stop laughing. There was other days I couldn't stop dancing. I was happy feet everywhere I went. Has anybody here ever felt the Holy Ghost? I believe in the Holy Spirit. Like I said, it's okay if you haven't felt him like that, but I feel him in my hands. I feel him in my feet. I feel him all over me. That's how I understood it. I had to learn the other things later. I'm just being honest. I had to nerd out later. But at the beginning, I had an encounter with God. Some of you look at me now and you go, oh, you've gotten a doctorate. You're teaching Bible college. That must have been the way you were, all analytical. No, man, that's not how I was. I was a a pleasure seeker. I wanted to feel something in life. That's why I went to drugs. That's why I went to alcohol. And, man, when that Holy Spirit touched me, when he came on the inside of me, when he did for me what cocaine and all of the drugs couldn't do for me, I said, I'm going with this one. I'm going with this one. Man, there is nobody like Jesus. When he sends the Holy Spirit, you know God is real. That's something that we're going to talk a little bit more about here. But I want you to notice that Jesus makes room for mystery. So if you're the kind of person that says, well, well, for me to understand this, I have to know where the Holy Spirit comes from exactly, where he's going this way, what he's going to do in my life, you're not going to be able to do that. That would be like you going outside during a hurricane saying, can I please control you? You're not going to be able to control a hurricane. You can't control the Holy Spirit. You have to just trust what he's doing in your life. Okay, so that's what we're learning there. We're born of the water, which is the word, by the Holy Spirit, and it's mysterious. And I mean, I could go back into my testimony. I know we have many here. I don't know how it worked that day. It it, it was like every other day, but there was something special November 5th, 1995, when that Holy Spirit came and blew in my life. There was something different that day. If I tried to figure it out, if I tried to stop what was going on, I would have missed what God was doing. And so I just want to speak to every person here 
here, whether it's being woken up in the midnight hour, whether it's being convicted on your commute, wherever you're at on your job or just what you're doing in your life, if you sense the Holy Spirit, just say, yes, Lord, more Jesus. Come on, can I hear somebody say, more Lord? You just need to say, like the old timers used to say, I am your servant and your servant is listening. Whatever you have, what you want me to do, I'm here to do it in Jesus' name. So Nicodemus hears all that, and then he says once again a almost uh, disappointing response. But hey, you know, he hasn't caught it yet. He, He then says back, well, how can this be? You know, in his mind, he's a doer of the law. That's how a person is, right? You do the law. He had missed the whole purpose of the law. The law, even for the Old Testament saints, wasn't to save them. It was to convict them of the sin, righteousness, and of judgment and to bring them to the sacrifice to see that they need someone greater than them to bring them through all of those commands. It was, it was to make them dependent upon God, in other words. And yet, at this time, these Jewish people had become so dependent on these laws that somehow they believed by every law that they kept they were building a stairway to heaven and that wasn't going to ever happen it doesn't matter how many laws you keep you can't get a stairway to heaven and I say this to all of the other religions Christianity and uh, Judaism at least gives you good laws Islam is always a stairway to hell can I hear an amen about that you know all the cults of Christianity Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses even the the fake religions that are based on the, the musings of a madman who wrote science fiction, Scientology those are just pathways directly to hell. Are you guys tracking with me? But even in this good book right here, 613 laws of the Old Testament, some have said a thousand plus in the New Testament, those laws themselves cannot bring you to heaven. All they will do is convict you of how you don't belong in heaven. How many know by the law you don't belong in heaven? You have broken the law. You have not always put God first. You have not always loved your neighbor. You, always, you haven't always you know, honored someone as the way you want to be honored or done things in humility, etc. And so what Jesus is telling this man is, I'm going to bypass your ladder to heaven, your good work stairway here, and I'm going to show you how to just get the download of heaven right now. He's basically telling him, I'm showing you how to start at the finish line. Islam says, let's start and then work all the way, all the way up to paradise and on judgment day where there's going to be some scales. And if you did more good than you did bad, you get into paradise. I've heard Christians talk like that. That's a devil's lie from Islam. Are you listening to me? I've also heard Christians talk like they follow Hare Krishna, that they believe in reincarnation. They're going to be able to talk to God, get sent back here, work it out, and then eventually mold or be brought into the the God of light and so forth. That's Hinduism, another devil's lie. Can I hear an amen? Christianity does not start you off on some journey called salvation. Christianity starts you off at the finish line of being born again. Christianity starts you off at receiving Christ as your Lord, being seated with him in heavenly places. Hallelujah. That's where Christianity starts with it is finished. When you accept Christ, you accept the finished work of salvation. He paid for it, not your good works. When you accept Christ, you accept his new nature on the inside of you. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. All the old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. And that's because of Jesus. Now, are there good things to do as a Christian? Absolutely. And so I always talk about being born again as Jesus does here, in an example of the natural. Can my child learn mathematics before they are born? Yes or no? Can my child do work around the house before they are born? What must they do first to be able to do math and stuff around the house? What must they do first? Be born as a human, can you now keep the law of God in a way that pleases him without being born again? No, you have to first be born again. Now you keep the laws of God. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, please. This is the great confusion. We think we understand this being born again, and yet we miss it just like Nicodemus. How can this be? What do you mean I need to be born again? What do you mean? In other words, I need to start over my character on Fortnite and lose all the things I got from playing this game for 24 hours like my kid just did? You mean now you're telling me to hit reset? These kids play video games and they build up their characters. I see some young guys nodding their heads here. Are you guys with me? 
What do you mean I win the game by resetting my character and going back to a noob? How does that work? You got to do it God's way. You see, your way was working your way up, working your way up, working your way up. And yeah, you were self-made, but you were a self-made mess. Help me preach, somebody. I'm self-made. I'm self-made. You're a self-made mess without God. You better let him hit restart so you can get born again. Listen to how the scripture says it. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. So that means if all I do, 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 a bunch of do-do before Christ, if that's all I have, then all I have is a bunch of do-do. But after Christ, all that I do is for Jesus. All that I do is because of Jesus. All that I do is beautiful fruit in the sight of Jesus, to the glory of the Father. What happens first? Am I created or do I do good works? According to Ephesians, you are first God's handiwork. You are first created in Christ Jesus. Now you're adequate to do good works. And when were these good works prepared? They were prepared in advance for us to do. So people are like, well, I don't know what to do. Get born again and you'll know what you were created to do. And wait for the Lord to show you if you're already born again. But he will show you the goods you ought to do. Listen to me. Every young person right here. I'm going to speak to some young people right now. You may not know what to do in a culture right now where they want to play Mr. Potato Head with their bodies and their sexuality. Where they want Adam and Steve instead of Adam and Eve. You may not know what to do. But God created you right now for a purpose and a plan. And he knows exactly what you need to do to live holy, to get married to bring forth children hallelujah he's got it all worked out despite what Ellen and all of her friends say are you listening well I don't know what to do the whole world's gone crazy God knows exactly what you're going to do I felt that same way man I just got born again now my eyes are open I see the world in a different way like in the matrix I took the red pill I see now Satan is over all of these things what do I do what do I do and God said chill out I created you for this this is exactly what I made you for I'm going to set you free off drugs I'm going to have you stop smoking and drinking and doing all of these things with the ladies I'm going to show you the purity that I created you for I'm going to show you the purpose that I made you for And so the born-again Christian is not doing this on their own. The born-again Christian is not here trying to figure it out. That young child in your hand, sir, is not trying to figure it out. Paul's a good father. Paul is walking with that child through life, preparing that child for everything that it does. Are you listening to me? You say God is not a good father. You're a liar. God is a good father. We know how to care for our own children. How much more so for God caring for us? Paul knows how to teach his child a language. Paul knows how to teach his child how to eat. He's prepared rooms for him. He's prepared inheritances for him. All of those things from a good father. How much more so has our Father in heaven prepared for us all the good that we are to do? Hallelujah, based on the word of God. That's what I'm here to do. What God prepared me to do. God prepares you to be married, those of you who are in marriage today. God prepares you to live a godly life, young people in the the families that you're in. God prepared us with these gifts and these talents, and it doesn't matter what the world does around us. I'm here to do what God called me to do. And if that's martyrdom, he prepared me to do it. Can I hear an amen? Because I believe in prosperity, but I also believe in Christian suffering. I know I'm an oddball these days because it's either one or the other. Either you're chicken little and the sky is falling, run to the hills and live like the Amish. Or let's just compromise with Babylon, forget being holy, and try to get as much as we can get in the name of our God. Listen, I'm, I'm standing right here on the path of grace and truth. I believe God wants to prosper us in all that we do. We will not run from Babylon. We will not run from Pharaoh. We have what they need, and we know what they don't know. Are you listening to me? But at the same time, if they want to throw me in a pit because I won't sleep with their prostitutes or their dirty women, then I'll be willing to go to that pit. Are you listening to me? If they want to throw me in a fire, come on, can I hear an amen? Anybody willing here to be thrown to fire? You want to throw me in a fire because I won't bow down to your image? Then throw me in that fire then. And whether I live or die is not up to me. But I can tell you one thing for sure is I'm serving the living God. That's whose side I'm on. Amen. Because one moment I'll leave this fiery place and I'll be in the place of his presence. Next time you leave here, you're going right into hell to the real fire. 
Amen. Going back to John chapter 3, be born again, live holy, be who God calls you to be. So Nicodemus says, man, I don't get all of this. Now Jesus rebukes him in verse 10. He says, you are Israel's teacher. You're a leader. You went to the uh, cemetery, I mean seminary. You went to the Bible college. You were supposed to know this. He says, you're Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, we speak of what we know, and we testify about what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I believe that every verb, every noun, every adjective, every pronoun has a reason for being in the scriptures. Jesus even uses these arguments based on the present tense of a verb when he talks to the Jewish people named the Sadducees who doubt whether or not there's a resurrection for the dead or souls live on after you die. They were somewhat like naturalists, but they believed there was a God out there. We would consider these people somewhat like deists, and, that's, and because they didn't believe in the resurrection in heaven, that's why they were sad, you see. Can I hear an amen for a pastor joke every now and then they come out. The more gray hair I get, the more pastor jokes I stack into my pocket, young man. I'm trying. They were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in a resurrection. That's why they were sad. They were called sad, you see, okay? And so Jesus said to them, when God spoke to Moses at the bush, did he say, I was? Notice that word. Did he say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? No, Jesus said that when God spoke to Moses, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So do you notice how Jesus, knowing the tense of that verb on whether it was a was, speaking towards the past, the past, or the present in the moment I am, the God. Do you understand Jesus knew how to talk like that? So how many knows when he goes to the plural, he's doing something? He's not like some of your friends that say, well, we don't like that. Well, we don't like, man, what's wrong with you, dude? Why you talk about yourself in the third person? Well, Bobby don't want that. But, dude, you're Bobby. Why are you talking about yourself that way? How many have ever had a friend talk about themselves in the third person? Sometimes you got friends like that. Maybe I'm the only one that has weird friends. Jesus did not just get weird right here. He has clearly been talking in the first person, and your English translation says now he switches to the third person. He says, you don't understand these things. Very truly, I, I tell you. So he's saying, I'm an I, and I'm talking to you. He says, very truly, I tell you, we Speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. Who is he speaking on behalf of? The Father and the Holy Ghost. He's saying, we've been messing with you guys for a long time, and you're still not listening. And I'm here representing them. And if you go to the book of John, they at one time wanted to know where he was getting his authority from and why he had the right to do these things. Who's your witness? And he said, I don't really need a witness, but if you want to know who my witness is, it's the Father. He counts as one, and I as the other one. It's settled, two or three in Jesus' name. And he said, I can get the Holy Ghost if I need to. So here we see that Jesus speaks on behalf of the Trinity, and he reminds that Nicodemus should know these things. Why? Because the Father and the Spirit through the Son have been speaking these things from the very beginning. Can I show you the three threes? How many want to see the three threes? All right, go to Genesis chapter 3. Why does he say to this man, you should know about this. You should know this. this. This shouldn't be a surprise to you. You ought to know better. Because in Genesis chapter 3, God gave them a command not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they went, starting with the woman, to this tree. And I don't have time to read the whole narrative. And she's tempted by the devil, but the devil never made her do it. She was there because of her own wicked desire, and the devil just helped her. Remember, that's what sin is. You'll be held responsible for your own sin. The devil won't make you do it but the devil will help you do it. Now notice this. All of that transpires and now get to the part that is most important for us. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, so the Lord said to the serpent, and now look at all these curses come down to him. Now look at Genesis chapter 3, verse what? There you go, verse 14, and verse 15, and then now look at the next one. What's the next one? Genesis 3 what? 16. What will we be going to in John chapter 3? What's going to be important there for us to go to? 16. So I want you to see this first set of three right here. Look at it. To the woman, he said, notice this. He's speaking to the woman, Eve. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. 
With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Notice at this point that childbearing is now going to come with the curse of the pain of labor. And now we understand how the spiritual death, going back to Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, we now know how the spiritual death will come. The spiritual death will come because they will eat of this tree be cursed and now pass it through childbirth. And the devil said in verse 4, you will not certainly die. How many know he's been a liar from the beginning? And from that point on, everybody began to die. Okay? And it got passed on through childbirth. Are you with me? Now go to your next three. Go to Romans chapter 3. How many have read Romans chapter 3 before? How many know it's not the one that you read at the picnic when you're having your best day? You just want to hang out and keep it light? How many know Bible study leaders, this is not the one you, you, you pick out before your, uh, your carving pumpkin day or something? But if you do, you're radical. God bless you. This is not generally the one that we put up on our refrigerators, make bumper stickers out of. This is generally not the chapter that we go to to pick out our memes to put with flowers in the background. But look at what it says here in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. Where has this come from? This has come from the spiritual death that came from Adam and Eve and specifically through the childbearing of Eve. Now everyone born of a woman has this upon them. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. Verse 12, all have turned away. They have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. How many know that describes this generation pretty good? Now look at it right here. Keep going. Verse 14, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Now look at verse 16, ruin and misery mark their ways, the way of peace they do not know. So their whole life, in, in, in other words, is miserable. And then verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. You look at Romans 3.16, ruin and misery mark their ways. Think about that. We're born as sinners, live as sinners, die as sinners. The best that we do for our, ourselves on this planet is what? Uh, slap some bodies together in a, an emotion called sex. Get some stuff out the ground we call gold and diamonds or paper we value as money. Does that take away the pain of all the murder? Does that take away the pain of all the disappointment? Does that take away the pain of all the, the catastrophes that we do just because we get to have sex and make money every now and then? No, even Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes says, I was the richest man. And yet I was the most depressed man because it took me understanding that all the money in the world can't satisfy. Some of you who think money will make you happy haven't got enough of it. Talk to some of us here who have had six figures or more and we'll tell you it doesn't make you happy. It will wear off. Some of you think sex will make you happy. No, you haven't had enough of it with a good wife like I have. I'll tell you, it's good being married. Can I hear an amen? But sex can't go down into my soul. It can't. It can touch me in ways that another, another body can't, but it can't go to a place that only God can touch me in my soul. And those of you who think education will make you happy, you haven't met enough doctors. Dear Lord, I've hung out with them. They certainly need Jesus. Trust me, I'd rather hang out with a plumber than most people with a PhD. Are you listening to me? God bless plumbers. And so, you know, Solomon writes in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's all vanity, all of it. I've had all the wisdom, and I've been the most depressed. I've had all the money, and I'm the most depressed. The man had a sex partner for every day of the week, times two if he wanted, over a thousand concubines. And he said, I was depressed, vanity. Misery marks their ways. But somebody say, Jesus is coming. Go to John chapter 3, verse 16. We had in the first 316 that sin came, and because of that death and pain through childbearing, we went to Romans 316, and we learned that because of sin, misery marks our ways. But in John 316, read it together out of this version for me, please. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, that will help you understand why we need to be born again. Nicodemus said, how can this be? 
Jesus replies back to him very truly in verse 11 of chapter 3. I tell you, we, we speak of things we know, and we testify about what we have seen. The Father is speaking in Genesis. The Holy Spirit is speaking in the book of Romans, and Jesus is speaking right here in the book of John, right between them, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Can I get an amen for the triune God that we serve? He said, we have been telling you these things, and you just, you just don't get it. Hard is hard. Now look at verse 12. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe it if I speak of heavenly things? In other words, there's people who want to go to the book of Revelation, but you don't understand John yet. You're not ready for the book of Revelation. You need to be born again. And this is true. This church started out of me playing video games as a, as a pastor in between churches, and I had some young adults coming over playing video games, and one of them said, hey, man, I heard you're a pastor. Man, can you talk to me about Jesus? And I said, sure, but let me get done killing these guys, and then I'll come tell you about Jesus. Honest truth, honest truth, because I was playing Halo. I said, let me wipe all this, this whole planet out here, and then let me be the last one standing in Slayer. Let me be the last one, and then I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. That's what they call it in Halo. I'm coming to you after I wipe them all out. And then I, I sat down with him. I said, okay, what do you want to talk about? Oh, he said, man, you know, I'm in the military. I want to understand the book of Revelation. I said, hold up here. You're not ready for Revelation. You're not ready for the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Let me start you right here. You're a sinner. You need to be born again. Because you can understand everything you want about these heavenly things, but if you don't know how to apply it on earth, it's of no earthly good. And that's why I don't like the saying that says, oh, well, don't be so heavenly minded. You're of no earthly good because if you're truly heavenly minded, you'll change the earth for good. So don't get lost trying to understand things that don't change the earth. That's not really what heaven's about. Heaven wants to come to earth. All of us here, we just want to go to heaven. Heaven wants to come here. Isn't that what the Bible says to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about this. We're all here going, man, I just wish you would beat me up, Jesus. Just take me to heaven. Just take me to heaven. And you got Elijah and Elisha. you got the prophets of old looking over the gates of heaven. They're saying, let me at them. Let me at them. Bring me to earth. Earth. Hallelujah. You see, we all just want to go to heaven, but heaven wants to come to earth. God wants his kingdom to come and his will be to be done. And so we need to be able to understand both heavenly things and earthly things, but in this, in this epoch, in this time, we need to make sure that what we know of heaven changes the earth that we live in. Touching heaven and changing earth is another way to understand it. He says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now I want you to hear what he said. He said, no one has gone into heaven except the Son of Man. And that's him talking about himself. The reason why Jesus could talk about himself in the third person is because he's being humble and he doesn't want to drop it all on them at once, but he's giving it to them in bits and pieces. The son of man, they already understood, had great privilege. And he keeps talking about the son of man, but they're supposed to connect that that's him. And so that's part of Jesus' mysterious language to them, but the disciples are hearing it and getting it. Now notice what he says. No one has been in there except the one who came from there. So what about Elisha? What about Enoch? What about all those wonderful saints? Where did they go? Jesus tells us they were in a place called Sheol, and the place of Sheol had two divisions. One was Abraham's bosom or paradise, and the other place was hell, and that was a place of torment, Gehenna, a place of fire and punishment. If you hear the story of Jesus in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, you'll see that that's where they were at. And so why were they there? Because the Christians, or the, we should say the God-fearers, had not yet been born again yet. They had by faith trusted in God through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and all the things the prophets had taught them, but they had not yet experienced the born-again experience and had their nature transformed to be into the presence of God. Somebody say, prove it. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Some of you, I'm going to read a verse to you right now, and then I'm going to hand you the mic and have you tell me what it means, okay? And I'm going to start with the first-time visitors. Everybody ready? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> What did I get myself into? No, I'm not doing that to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to read this to you, and you tell me what it means. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, 
Verse 7, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, okay? So this is why it says this. I want you to see if you understand this. When he ascended on high, he took many captives, and he gave gifts to his people. Verse 9, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Who's ready to explain that? If you've been here before or you've been at a good Bible study, you know how to explain it. But most people don't. They're like, what in the world? Ascended, descended, filling the whole earth? What's going on? Exactly what I just described to you before. Abraham's bosom, the righteous, the wicked, in, in a place of torment. Christ, and if you go up a little bit, please, to the verse 7 and 8 there, Christ had to do both of these things to fulfill the role of the Messiah. He ascended on high and he took many captives. Abraham and those who were saints in the past were captive to be in paradise. It's a pretty good place to be captive. If you're going to have your plane get delayed, it's good to have it happen while you're taking a vacation in Puerto Rico. Are you listening? You don't want your plane to get de delayed in Minnesota. You don't want that. Trust me, I've had it before in the middle of winter. You don't want plane delays in Minnesota. You want your plane de de delayed to be delayed in Puerto Rico. Anybody here? Wepa, right? That's why you want your plane to be delayed, right? So if you're going to be held captive anywhere, you want it to be in paradise because you can't leave. You're there waiting for something. So what is he doing? He's taking captives with him and he's giving gifts to people, the Holy Spirit, the five-fold ministry, and uh, all the wonderful things we see the church will have and do. Can I hear an amen? And then the clarification to back up whether or not what I just said was true because I should be able to define it right there. But now Paul, the great apostle that he was, he explains it even further. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Where was Sheol believed to be? Under the earth. That's where it was believed to be. So he goes there, he descends there, and then he goes from there in an ascension higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. How many are glad that Jesus is here today filling this part of the universe? Amen. Now going back to John chapter 3, no one has ever gone into heaven at this time except the one who came from heaven. The Son of Man. Daniel chapter 7 describes him in his glory. That title, Son of Man, does not take away from divinity. Sometimes people think the Son of God is a title of divinity. Son of Man is only humanity. Both are of divinity. The Son of Man is divine and receives worship. He is equal to the Father, the Ancient of Days. Daniel chapter 7. That's why the Son of Man can forgive sins. That's why the Son of Man is the only one in heaven. So they had to reconcile this in their beliefs. And then now he tells this story, which I want to talk about a little bit. Go into Numbers chapter 21, please. He tells this rather odd story. If you're a new visitor, we're glad you're here. Trust me, we're not going to put you on Bible quiz uh, a show today. You're not going to have to, to tell us what these scriptures mean, but I'm glad you're here. But in Numbers chapter 24, uh, 21 verse 4, we hear about an odd thing. Many visitors may not know about this. They're... It might sound strange. I'm going to read it out of John as you're looking at Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. Jesus said here to Nicodemus, he said, just as, 314 of John, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. A snake lifted up in the wilderness? What in the world's going on here? How many know this story? Don't lie, because I might call on you if you're going to raise your hand. Okay. You know the story. We don't have time to read it all, but it's here for us to look at. I'll just highlight it. They began to grumble against Moses, and they began to detest what God was doing among them because the manna and those kinds of things weren't good enough. Now, look at what the Lord does. Look at what the Lord, verse 6. Then the Lord sent unicorns with cotton candy and all of their favorite treats to them. Is that what it says the Lord did? The Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. One of the reasons why people don't understand me as a preacher because they don't understand God. God can at times punish his people. So those who are upset with me preaching about punishment don't understand this God. Now, I'm not saying every time you've seen a snake or you've been bitten by a snake or seen somebody bitten by a snake, it's God's judgment. I'm not superstitious. But I am saying that the God of heaven and earth, when he's had enough, he can punish his own creation. I just want us to get over that. I want us to deal with it because you need to, okay? Because the world will bring it up to you as an opposition towards the goodness of your God. 
okay? They're going to bring this to you as what is called the problem of evil. What they're basically going to say is if God is all-powerful, he could stop evil. Evil is still here, so God must not be all-powerful. If God is a good God and he knows about all evil, he should stop the evil. Evil is still here, so then he must not know how to stop evil. If God is a good God, then God can do it at any time and in any way. He's all-powerful and he's all-knowing. Therefore, there is not a good God. Maybe there's a God, but he's definitely not a good God. Okay, does everybody get the argument? It was made popular with the Greeks, and it's been carried on through many atheistic philosophers. Here's the first thing that I say to them. Define to me good without using my definition that was given to me by God. What is good? Try it. Try it without God. Well, good is what is the flourishing of mankind. Says the talking ape with brain fizz? You're brain fizz. You're a talking animal. Why should I take your word for it? Another man told me that good was occupying all of Europe and putting the detestables into gas chambers. Why should I listen to your brain fizz and not his brain fizz? Says who? The talking ape with brain fizz? Good is just your opinion, your subjectivity based on whatever whims you think is good for humanity. Joe, you're just making this up as a Christian to make them look bad right now. Get the book by Dr. Alex Rosenberg, The Atheist Guide to Reality. Top philosopher of our day says, Atheist, stop pretending you know what good is. It doesn't exist. We're just chemicals. He's a nihilist. That's true atheism. And he calls all of his atheistic friends to stop arguing with Christians over these things because it shows their bankruptcy. What he says at the end of the book, it's not only do you not know what good is, there is no you on the inside of you. You are an it of chemicals that has no will, no personality, and will live and die as an it. And if you don't like that, Dr. Rosenberg says at the end of the book, take more serotonin and get over it because that's how life is. Joe didn't make that up. The greatest atheist philosophers of our time have made it up. Even in The God Delusion, Richard Dawkins says there is no good, there is no bad. It's only blind, pitiless chance. So number one, the person who brings to me the problem of evil because I say there's a good God. What's the problem, Jack? Do you care what ants do? Do you care what bacteria does? That's all we are. Hello, can I get an amen? I'm talking now, aren't I? But I call it preaching. It's still preaching. But this is what they need to hear, isn't it? Oh, I want to point a finger. I want to point a finger at your God for putting these snakes over there and all these children who died in Noah's Ark. And all. Who makes children? Who makes bodies? God does. Let me just start with one thing. God exists, and you're not him. Now he'll do what pleases him. If you don't like it, you're going to still have his pleasure done to your life. That's number one. Number two, if you take time to read the book that actually talks about a God sending snakes, you'll read in just a few moments he has a way to deliver them from the snakes. So the real problem of evil isn't why there's a good God and bad things happen. The real problem of evil is why does a good God allow any of us evil, wicked creatures a day of goodness? Why did you ever get to smile when you saw a baby? Why did you ever get to feel the heat of the sun? Why isn't your life nothing but madness and confusion? Why does a good God allow the evil? It's a great question. And it's because in love he made us free will creatures. And through our choice, like I said with Fortnite, do you want to play in this world or this world? Did he not tell us? You, you stay away from that tree and you eat from the tree of life. This is what your world, your reality will look like. There will be no pain. There will be no suffering. There will be no rape. There will be no holocaust. That's the game you get to choose. That's the life. Which one do you want? What board do you want to play on? Or do you want this one? In the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. We chose death. Why does a good God allow evil to exist? Because he's getting evil out of his good creation. And if you want to go where evil goes, be my guest. 
My children came here. I tell them all the time, I'm going to heaven with or without you. But I hope you come with me. I'll say it to this church. I love you so much. I want everyone to join me there. But I'm telling you, I'm going there with or without you. Because every person will stand on that day of judgment, on that choice. Did you choose Christ in the life? Or did you choose the path of death? Because I don't know about you, and the last thing I would say to the problem of evil, first thing is that we don't know what good and evil is without God. The second thing is, is he's working evil out of us. And the third thing is, if after seeing what you have seen on this planet, all the evil, all of the suffering, if it doesn't bring you down to your knees saying, God, I want a different life than this. I need your help through this. I need you, Jesus. Then hell will be your home because you're okay with the evil did you all hear me you go to hell because you're okay with the way things are here well I'm okay with the with the perversion I'm okay with the violence this way I'm okay with the attitude and the rebellion against God that's where hell is that's what hell is about that's where you'll go but those who say man I just I can't take it down here anymore I don't like the way it is down here I hate how evil is down here I hate how there's confusion down here I hate dysphoria down here then you can cry out to God and he'll show you that you can have another life that you can have eternal life that you can have the kingdom of God can I hear and amen. So what does evil make me do? It makes me go on my knees and say, help me, Jesus. Give me a new life. Going back to our notes, we see that this serpent, or just uh, here in the passage, rather, we see that the serpent, uh, the serpents are released upon the people as punishment. They were rebellious. But God says, I got a way here. Look at the same God. Look at verse 6. The Lord sent venomous snakes. That's God doing something. But then what did he do in verse 8? Then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake, put it on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone who was bitten by a snake looked at the bronze snake, they were able to live. They lived. Can I hear an amen? Jesus said just like that. Everybody get this. Evil has come upon this world because we have rejected our good God. And it's like a snake among us, this evil. Not just the devil, but the evil itself is like a snake among us. Because remember, the devil has been deceived by evil himself. He will not be having a party in hell when it's his time. No one will, okay? And now there's all of this evil. But what will be the solution? Is looking to another thing that looks just like the evil? How is that going to work? That mystery remained among those people all of those years. Nicodemus had no way to answer that. And I wouldn't either unless Jesus had told me. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 21, he, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. That in him, we might become the righteousness of God. When we saw Christ on a tree... We saw a serpent like how Moses lifted up a serpent. We saw evil. We saw wickedness. We saw sin not in the person of Jesus, but the curse that he bore on our behalf. He who knew no sin. Put it so they can know. No, I'm not lying. Please and keep that passage. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He is our substitutionary sacrifice. He is our redeemer. He took our sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. God made him, the Father made Jesus to be that curse for us. Did you know that's what John 3.16 was, was building up to? That just as a serpent was lifted up in the time of Moses and all those who looked to it were healed because that serpent represented God's destruction of a curse will now have in fullness when we see Jesus becoming sin for us, breaking the curse of sin over all of our lives. Can I hear an amen? I know it's odd to think of Jesus that way. He became the serpent lifted up. Yes, yeah, so you'd almost think that we were doing him wrong. Maybe if it came from Paul, and going back to John so they can see it, good sir, there in verses 14 and 15, if it even came from Paul or one of the apostles, you might say, Paul, you got it wrong here. Why are you calling my precious Jesus the serpent? But it was Jesus himself who said, that's what I'm going to be like for you. I will be that curse. I will take that wickedness, that pain on your behalf. That is why I want everybody to get this. Everybody. Vinny, would you come, please? I know I have to get going, but everybody get this. 
every hideous, wicked thing that has ever been done on this earth in this way, spiritually, was done against Jesus. Does everybody understand that? When Jesus took our sins and he took the wickedness of this world, I don't know how it happened, but I know that he understood child molestation from the point of view of the victim. That evil, wicked thing. He became in that way in the curse, taking the curse for us. Does everybody get what this means? I don't think you do. Go back to the Corinthians passage. Without Christ losing his sinless nature, I want you to understand that this passage says he became something. Does it not say God made? Right there, verse 21. Does it not say God made? You all want to see what made is in the Greek? Right click on that, please. I'll show you what the word made means in the Greek. You want to see what it means in the Greek here? It's going to blow your minds. This is going to come up in just a moment. It's going to blow your minds what this word means. It's, it's going to come up. We're going to be patient. you got to go back to made and just right click it, sir. Not, not the whole thing. Just right click. Okay, do it one more time and we'll get it here for him because I want everybody to see it. Right click. There we go. You want to know what the word made means in the Greek? It means make. <laughs> did that blow your mind? Did that, did that impress you right there? I went to school for that. Did you guys see that? You want to see how you say it in Greek? Pioio. That's my best way to say it. Pioio. There it is. And you want to know what it means? It means make. Okay, does everybody get it? Now, what does it say here in verse 21? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So what does that mean? Whatever was wicked and sinful, in some way, Jesus was made to experience it. He never changed his divine nature. Jesus had become the devil and shapeshift and changed being holy to wicked. Jesus, the whole time on the cross, is righteous. But in some way, he is made to know sin as we have sinned. Or sin has been done against us. Does everybody see that? I want to make sure you see that. Now go back to John, please. It says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. So all of our sins that came out of John, uh, that came out of Genesis chapter 3, that have been demonstrated to be misery upon us in Romans chapter 3, Jesus has identified with. And there's nothing that he didn't defeat there. From those who have been victimized by sin or to those who have sinned themselves, all sins were paid for there on the cross. You get a new life. Now we get to the crescendo. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. I wish I had time to read the rest. Come back next week for part three. Amen? Be born again, all of us, and be free from sin because he took our sins for us. Do you get the message today? Let the word of God Wash over your soul today. Come on, go back to that illustration. Let the Word of God wash over all the pain that sin has done against you or you've done against yourself in sin. Let the new life of God come from your soul to your mind, to your words, to your hands, to your feet. Let new life come. You know what that word life is in in Greek, zoe, zoe, the God kind of life, an abundant life, a life that will have you face your fears and say, I know who I belong to, and this life will be protected. They may kill a body, but they can kill my soul. Hallelujah. And whatever you face when they, they come against you and they put you down in this world and they reject you and you don't have all the money that your neighbors have, you have Zoe. You have life. For life consists 
of more than just we own. Where moth and rust can come and take it all away in a moment. Life is knowing Jesus. As the old timers used to say, he walks with me. He talks with me. You'll get up in the morning and you'll hear a voice that may sound like your conscience, but it's not being birthed from your conscience. It's coming straight from heaven. You don't know where it came from or where it was last night when you were sleeping, getting the crusties in your eyes, snoring. But you'll wake up in the morning and you'll hear the Holy Spirit say, I am with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm greater in you than all that's in this world that you're going to face today. Let's get up and go. Hallelujah. I double dog dare somebody to wake up tomorrow and say good morning Holy Spirit. What adventure are we going on today? What adventure are we taking today in the great existence of life made in the image of God to know and love Him? Are you ready for the adventure? Amen. Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus today. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Band and altar workers, would you come? As we close out in prayer, second service, folks, thank you for your patience. Every head bowed and eyes closed. If you need to be born again, you can start to pray right now. Father, I accept Jesus. Jesus, come into my life. Holy Spirit, make me new. You can pray something like that. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be born again. Wash me with your word. Talk to the Father in Jesus' name, and the Holy Spirit will do it right now. If you need to pray with someone, you can even start coming now. We'll dismiss in a moment. If that makes it easier for you, these prayer workers will be up here as we transition out into second service. We're so glad you're here. But would you pray if you're not born again right now, even where you're at? Father, I want to be born again. I want Jesus. I want the Holy Spirit. Those of us who have been born again, look at your hearts. Are you living for Him? Are you on fire for Him? Has Jesus taken those sins away? Are you living free from sin? If you're still in, a, a, you know, kind of like this broken record of sin, would you ask Jesus to set you free? We believe that there's holiness in this, in this relationship, that there's transformation. And then those of you who have said, man, I've been born of the Spirit. I know it's real. Have you been baptized in the Spirit, speaking in other tongues, experiencing supernatural things in your life? If you have, would you raise up your hands with me, those baptized in the Holy Spirit, and just begin to speak in other tongues right now? Not only did I get a new spirit to live a good life, I got baptized in the Spirit to live a supernatural life. Come on, build up your inner man. That's how we pray in this new life. We pray with our words that we've learned in language, but also heavenly language, the languages of angels. Hallelujah. We also sing with our English or our language and we sing with the Spirit, the Bible says. We sing and we pray in the Spirit. Those baptized in the Spirit, keep on building your spirit before we...